Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, worship team. Praise God. Well, good morning, saints of God, the Building Christian Fellowship, TBCF. I am Pastor Donald, a.k.a. Don the Blaptist, for those of you that, that know otherwise. Um, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be here this morning before you. Our senior pastors, Pastor John and Kaya, are actually in uh, uh, Auburn with our sister church at Faith and Victory. They are celebrating their 20th anniversary up there, uh, Faith and Victory Church. So shout out to you all. Um, interesting that, that we're celebrating our, our, our uh, anniversaries in the same month. God has a funny way of doing stuff like that. But um, just welcome you guys this morning. Out of all the places you could have been on a Sunday morning, you're here in the house of God to worship and not forsaking the fellowship as is the manner of some, unfortunately. But I welcome you here. God is going to honor the fact that you came into these doors this morning into the house of worship to be with the brethren. Amen. But understand this. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to, to, to get it twisted. Understand that just coming through these doors doesn't mean that you in. I'd be remiss to not mention the fact that, that standing in a garage, no matter how long you do, does not make you a car. You understand that? Uh, my father-in-law has been a mechanic for probably about 40-some-odd years of his life. And just reading manuals and never picking up tools or doing anything with them did not make him a mechanic. Just hanging around and, and, and shooting the stuff with other mechanics didn't make him a mechanic. But it wasn't until he picked up the tools, applied what it is that he read and the things that he picked up from the other mechanics, put it into practice that made him a mechanic. And so just like, like, like that analogy and that illustration I give you, I want to encourage you this morning with a short but sweet message. I don't want to drag this out longer than it has to be, but I think it's going to be concentrated and then as you water it with your meditation throughout the week it's gonna make it do what it do you understand what I'm saying I don't know I grew up in the 80s we had this stuff called tang it just took a little scoop yeah water and the rest is history you feel me and so uh I'm praying that this message is gonna be it's gonna be better than tang you know what I'm saying but it's only gonna take a lot a little bit for you to do a lot with because I find that God Loves taking a little and making a whole lot out of it. Amen. And so uh, this morning I want to start with this, uh, this, this quote. As those of you guys that know me, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit of a nerd when it comes to theology. And I, lately I've been kind of on my trip about studying some of the, 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 uh, the church, early church fathers. First century church fathers. And so this, this dude right here, his name is Ignatius of Antioch. Those of you guys that know anything about Antioch, you read the scriptures, you'll see that that is the first place that we got our names Christians. 
And it wasn't meant to be a badge of honor. It was made to, to be something that we were made fun of because we followed the way. We followed the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were like, oh, they're, they're little Christ. That was like a, a, supposed to be like a, kind of a slur towards us. But Antioch was the first place that we got our name Christians. And so Ignatius is from Antioch. And Ignatius was one of the early church fathers. You guys are like, man, I don't know nothing about no Ignatius. I ain't never seen his name in the Bible. Well, that's because he was living during that time as the scriptures were being developed. And so he lived early, early, uh, early church times. He was actually a, a, a disciple of the apostle John. And so Ignatius is, has this reputation of like being like, dude was like a, what I like to call a sanctified savage. He was like ready to have his life poured out at any moment for the sake of sake of Christ. And he actually died by being fed to lions. So he's also a, a martyr. You guys can look this up. This is history. A lot of you guys don't realize that the, the, we, we look at the Bible and we like, okay, yeah, that's history. But there's history that's built upon these scriptures that we have called the Bible. And I'm talking about literal, literal history. The fact that when we go out and we try and be a witness and people want to challenge, oh, they think that this is a book of just myths and, and, and a lot of fun stories and stuff that have all this mystical stuff that happens. No, this is historical facts. So Ignatius of Antioch, he says, we recognize a tree by its fruit and we ought to be able to recognize a Christian by his action. The fruit of faith should be evident in our lives for being a Christian is more than making sound professions of faith. It should reveal itself in practical and visible ways. Indeed, it is better to keep quiet about our beliefs and live them out than to talk eloquently about what we believe but fail to live by it. Can I get an amen on that? You know, there's a lot of people that are out right now, you know what I'm saying? It seems like every which way we turn, somebody has something to say about something, right? Everybody's an expert now. Like the internet has made everybody an expert. And, and so you got everybody trying to sell their master class to you and try and get you to join. What cracks me up is I see these, these reels and these memes about like, uh, that make fun of these like self-proclaimed, uh, uh, these, these uh, motivational speakers and they say, just join my master class. All you have to do is wake up and do this this many times and blah, blah, blah. And it's like everywhere you turn, you see somebody trying to sell you this product on how to be a better human being. Right? I mean, like, like we got this thing of, of, of yeah, just I, I need to be my best self. But I want to tell you that the word of God tells us he, it, it ain't about ourselves being better, right? Jesus, we, we get it twisted. We think that Jesus came to make bad men good. No, he came to make dead men live, right? You, get the, you, cross, those, you cross those stories and those reels talk about nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming to save you. Well, I, I, according to the gospel, um, somebody did come to save me and he's coming again. You see, we got to be careful about who it is that we listen to. Because what we listen to is what we develop our belief system on. You know what I'm saying? It might, it might get you motivated to go to the gym and lift something. But the thing is, is that God's trying to get you past being motivated just to, to do the exterior stuff. It doesn't matter how many muscles you got when your heart muscle is not. Right? You, you feel me? The muscle that God's concerned with is your heart. But we pay attention to what's in the mirror. 
And so he's saying is that, that if we're professing to be believers, if we're professing to be Christians, that we need to live it out in a practical, invisible way. You know, you go through the church. I grew up in the church. I've, I've been in the church all my life. And, and, and you come across some really wacky stuff, right? There'll there be some people that like, they're, they're either on one end of the spectrum or they're on the other, right? You got individuals who believe that, you know, uh, what, what I would call Gnostic Christians, which basically they believe that uh, it's all about the spiritual, nothing in the, in the physical matters. Then you have the other end of that spectrum where, where, where it's about, oh, well, everything's taken care of in the spirit, but I'm going to do whatever, you know, just live, live my life and enjoy it to the fullest and all that, and, and God's going to take care of the rest. And they never work on developing their character. They, they're, they're, looking, they're looking to just be blessed, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, right? You come across some pretty wacky stuff, but here it is, is, is that Jesus is saying, like, no, it's, it's, not, it's not that it's not the other. It's something completely different. We think that there's only left and that there's only right. And we forget that there's an up and down and a forwards and backwards. Listen, we as believers have to understand the task that we've been called to. The scriptures liken us as farmers, as athletes, as boxers, and as a soldier. You might be wondering, what, what do those things have in common? I'll tell you what, I guarantee you that you see me rolling up out of bed right around lunchtime every day, I know you ain't going to think I'm a farmer. You see me rolling out of bed around lunchtime every day, you're not going to think that I'm a boxer. I might be boxing stuff at a warehouse, but I'm not a boxer, right? You wouldn't think that I'm an elite level athlete, right? Um, if I'm rolling out of bed every day around lunchtime, you would know that I'm not a soldier. So how could we be likened to these things when that's kind of the approach that we take from day to day as believers? We've, we've kind of come to this lackadaisical form of walking with Christ when it's really kind of more like limping along with Christ. Right, he said, take up my yoke because my yoke is easy. And, and him being the, the, the stronger one in that, in, that, in that bond, of course, yeah, we're the weaker one, but we think that it's okay that we just go limping along with him. And that's not. We're, we're to take up his yoke. We're, we're to assume it and, and, then, and then imitate him. Imitate the, the strength under control that he, that he expresses. I forget what kind of horses they said it was. It's, it's, there's these horses that by themselves on their own, they can move up to, I want to say like 12,000 to, to 17,000 pounds, right, of weight by themselves. If you yoke two of them together, simple logic would tell you that they would be able to do twice that amount. But the truth of the matter is, is that whatever, let's just say it's 12,000 pounds, you would say, okay, you got two of them, 24,000. Logic tells you that when in actuality it ends up being like more like 38,000 pounds that they are able to do together. Why? Because they keep pushing each other. And that's how it is when we see our Savior. Our Savior is like, take up my yoke because my yoke is easy. Yoke with me. Let me be, let be, be partners with me in this. And I'll take you to levels of strength that you won't even imagine. So today I want to I want to want us to to take a quick look at James. We're only going to look at seven verses 
in the book of James. For those of you guys that have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn to the book of James with me. Like I said, I won't be before you long. It's been a real interesting week, last couple of weeks actually, but this week has been a doozy. James chapter 1 tells us, he starts off the chapter with count it all joy when you experience trials and tribulations. Count it all joy. James, what are you talking about, bruh? What are you saying? He's saying count it all joy. Count it as something to be a blessing. Why? Because when you endure the trials, when you go through some things, when you allow God to show his faithfulness in the midst of everything that says or would question or rival his faithfulness, then you'll be made perfect, lacking nothing. I thought the trials came to show how much I do lack. Yeah, they do. But it shows our desperate need of him. So this week, or the last couple of weeks, dryer goes out. After we just got it fixed, dryer goes out. I'm glad you could laugh about it. I didn't. So we back old school, you know what I'm saying? Uh, old Jerusalem, hanging, hanging close to dry. You feel me? Um, after that, car dies. Come on, man. One thing after the other. But it rains on the just as well as the unjust. God is good. God is good. I don't know if you guys paid attention the last couple of weeks, the words that we've been getting. Brother Charles came through, slid through, and he's talking about being identified Christ. Like, how, how, are we, how can we tell that you're a believer? How can we tell that you like, what does your uniform look like? What are you wearing? Right? Pastor comes right behind that with being considered but not consumed. And he talks about Job. Do you realize that Job lost everything? And part of him losing everything had to do with, with where his heart was. He was a righteous dude. He was a good man. He was a man of God. God even said so. When he told Satan, he says, have you considered my servant Job? But Job's one thing was that he had feared what had come upon him more than he feared God. And he lost everything. But once he realized where he had misplaced the fear and the reverence and restored it in his rightful place, everything else was restored. And so James is telling us, man, he says, look, don't trip off the small stuff. He's like, it, it, it just, just charge it to the game. Understand that, that God knows exactly what it is that you need when you need it. Don't trip off of it. It's just a trial that's coming to make you stronger. It's coming to, to, to build you up. It's coming so that way when you go through it and you come out on the other end, you won't lack any good thing. And if you still feel like you're lacking, go ahead and ask God who freely gives wisdom to those who need it. Amen? But I'm not going to stay up there in the first part of this chapter. I want you guys to take a look at verse 18. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go through some things. I need you guys to understand that just because we come in here week after week and we hear the word, 
that it doesn't make, make mean that we're, that we're in there. There's something that we have to do with it. So James chapter 1, verse 18, it says, And it is of his own free will that he gave us birth as sons by his word of truth, so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, a sample of what he created to be consecrated to himself. Do you realize that we hold a special place in all the creation? That we are consecrated, set apart for God's pleasure and for his purpose. We are the first fruits of his creation. So we're not, we're not just a part of his creation. We're, we're not just, just, uh, just here without means or without a purpose. We're here set apart, consecrated, set unto himself for a purpose. Verse 19, understand this, my beloved brethren. Let every man be quick to hear, a ready listener, slow to speak, slow to take offense and get angry. Does that seem like the time that we live in right now or does it seem like it's the opposite of that? I mean, I don't know about you, but I see people getting into arguments everywhere I turn. They're arguing over shoelaces. They're arguing over who's this and who's that. They're, they're just arguments everywhere. Or somebody's quick to get offended. They're taking stuff the wrong way. But here it is. We're cautioned as believers, not just like mere creation, but as believers who have been consecrated and set apart under God to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to take offense and get angry. And why are we told this? Because verse 20 says, for man's anger does not promote the righteousness God desires. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I've had to wrestle with this, this, this particular verse quite a bit because my kids will go and do something that I specifically and expressly have told them not to do. And because they go and disobey what it is that I've told them not to do, my anger begins to rise up. But it doesn't bring about the righteousness that I was hoping that would come about. It leads to further contention, leads to further dissension. And a lot of relational glass that needs to be picked up. I don't know if you know anything about glass, but glass makes a huge mess when it shatters. Just last week, those of you that have been over to the house, our glass table broke out of nowhere. It's what woke us up in the morning. Our glass table broke out of nowhere. Wasn't no way to explain it, nothing. We couldn't explain what it was. I tried to investigate. I did my inspector gadget, CSI, did all that. I was like dusting for fingerprints. I know somebody did something. Nope. Couldn't find nothing. It just broke on its own. As is the nature of things in life, just things eventually break down. Out of nowhere. Now, mind you, I had to take this heavy tempered glass and make sure that I disposed of it and was able to fit it into our garbage before garbage day the following day. And as I was doing it, I'm breaking the glass. And mind you, like it was taking a lot of effort to break this glass. So I'm like, how in the world did this happen? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know. 
I just like, could it have been the invisible finger of God that just, I don't know. But I thank him for the one that's on his way. Right? But man's anger does not promote the righteousness that, that God desires. And so, with understanding that, James charges us in verse 21. So get rid of all uncleanness and rampant outgrowth of wickedness and in humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted and engrafted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls. He's talking about how we shouldn't be be quick to get angry because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And here it is, he's telling us, but receive with meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to save our souls. Do you realize that, that he's talking to Christians? You might be like, okay, he's talking to Christians, but why is he saying that this will save your soul? I thought Christians, their souls already been saved. Well, the word soul that he's talking about is where we get the word psyche from. Has to deal with our emotions and our will and our understanding. Our person, our breath, our life. Going back to the fact that we established that God created us in such a way that we are above all of his creation. Do you realize that out of God, all of God's creation, we're the only ones in his creation that it says that he opened up our mouth, breathed into us, and we became a living soul. So he's saying that soul, that, 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 that breath that he breathed into you, that by receiving his engrafted word is going to be able to save and preserve that. Your psyche, your, psycho, your psychology, your mental health. The engrafted word. We read in John 1, 1, it says that the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then you skip down a couple of verses, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and tabernacled among us, and that was Jesus Christ. But here it is, we're reading that the word has been engrafted in us, the same word that is talking about, the Logos word, the written word, the spoken word of God. The word that created everything and spoke it into existence. That if we receive that same word, that the word can be made flesh in us. And that's what he desires, that his word be made flesh in us. But we have to receive it with a meek and humble spirit so that our souls can be saved, so that our life can be preserved. We've already been saved eternally. But he also cares about the natural. Remember I said there's, a, there's this spectrum that we tend to get goofy about as Christians. We live on one end or the other and he's saying, no, receive the word and it's preserving you both spiritually, eternally, and right now. Let's, let's, let's just be logical about it. Let's just really think about this. If, if this life didn't really matter, why didn't, why didn't we just go to heaven as soon as we got saved? Soon as soon as we say, oh, he said the prayer, bye. Out of there. No, because what we do here matters. What we have to understand is that when we got saved, it's a part of God's plan to build his church. 
that the kingdom of hell, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. I came unto this real, real, real dope uh, uh, devotional that this, this pastor was doing. He was talking about how the gates of hell, a lot of us, we don't understand that, that, that passage of scripture when Jesus is telling them that, that upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you realize that the gates of hell are defensive? Meaning that they're defending against the onslaught of the kingdom of God coming in and snatching people out. I don't think you guys heard that. I want to, I need you to understand that this is a war that we're in. This is not something that we're just, you guys think that we're coming in here and sitting in these nice comfy seats every Sunday and we sing some songs, we hear a word and we leave out of here and go eat our chicken or whatever it is that we eat until we do it again next week. No, you're, you're, you're here right now getting, this is a war room that you're getting instruction on how to do battle the rest of the week. What I'm trying to get you to understand is, is that you are on the offensive. I know you think that, oh, because I I hear Christians say it all the time, I'm under attack, I'm under attack. No, no, that means you're just, you're in battle. You're in battle. And you should be on the offense. If you you are, are, are having a hard time understanding, it's because you're being deceived and thinking. That you don't have an active role to play in this. And if you're being deceived, that means you have to get rid of the uncleanness. Like, we, we pray for safety, but we don't pray for purity. Why? Because we, we don't have a problem with safety. We think, we, think, we think that safety is what's going to keep us from danger, but we don't see impurity as being dangerous. So we got to get rid of the filth, get rid of the uncleanness and receive the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. Verse 22, it says, but be doers, be doers of your plan. Be doers of the, 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 the seven steps to success. No, it says be doers of the word obey the message and not merely listeners to it betraying yourselves into deception by reasoning contrary to the truth again you got to watch what it is you listening to out there they're telling you nobody's coming to save you but jesus said i came to seek and save those which were lost deceiving ourselves I don't think that there's any other kind of deception that could be worse than the the deception of yourself. Do you realize that deception is, is, is not just lying. Deception is a misrepresentation of the truth. So he says, be doers of the word and not merely listeners. Don't just be a hearer of the word. We deceive ourselves every time that we come in here and we leave out here and like, yeah, that was a good message. All right, what's for lunch? As I come to a close and you hit the door. Can I, can I be honest with you? Because coming and sitting in these pews, in these chairs, week after week, 
don't make you a Christian. And you sitting in here right now. Just because you sing on this stage does not mean that you saved. I remember growing up, my mom used to play uh, these records. Like I said, I grew up in church and my mom used to play these records of, of this, this group called the Followers of Christ, man. They had this song that, that really slapped back in the day, man. They had this song and it said, it don't matter how, how loud or how high you jump. It don't matter how loud you pray. If you're not doing the words you hear, you can't please God. It don't matter what denomination you're in. God's not moved by doctrine of men. If you're not doing the words you hear, you can't please God. You can't please God. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we get it confused. We think that, that coming in here, we, if we learn a little Christianese. Oh, how you doing, brother? I'm blessed going in. Blessed going out. Oh, you, oh, 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 so, 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 so when, when, when the, when the preaching gets loud, you just should about a hundred, should about a hundred, should about a hundred, right? Nah. It don't matter about none of that. If you ain't doing what it is that you aim in it. A lot of Christians are like snipers with rifles with no scope. Don't know what they aiming. Don't know what they aiming in. But they saying amen. Right? They don't even know. They don't know. You got to be careful what it is that you're paying attention to, what you're entertaining. You have an active role, brother, sister. You have an active role. In this process, I remember hearing a story, this story about a farmer who was an award-winning farmer. He was, he was a corn farmer, right? And so uh, he was getting interviewed by the local, local paper, I think it was, and he, uh, they were like, man, what's your secret to your award-winning corn that you, you know, your corn is like top-notch, everybody uh, uh, loves it or whatever. He's like, he's like, what, what's your secret? And he says, I share a little bit of, of my seed corn with my neighbors. And they're like, what? How, why would you do that when they're in competition with you? Why, like, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? He says, you not understand how, how farming works? He says, apparently you don't. So let me explain to you. He says, do you realize that, that, that the wind comes and swirls up the pollen from the, from the corn and it spreads it across all the fields everywhere and causes cross-pollination. So that way, if I, if I gave them inferior corn, that means that it's going to sprinkle and mutate my crops as well. But I give them the best of what I have, and I also use the best of what I have, and everybody benefits from it. Many of us, we, we're comfortable with coming in here week after week. We ain't sharing the best of what we have when we go out the rest of the week. And we wonder why people's, it seems like the people that we're connected to, all of their crap kind of seeps over into our stuff. And, 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 and there's this mutation and stuff. And we, but before we know it, we're like, how the heck did this happen in my house? 
because we ain't sharing the best of what we have. And the wind's coming and the wind's blowing. Jesus said that's going to happen. The storms of life are going to come and they're going to blow. We can sit here and complain about the state of the community that we live in. We can sit here and communi- uh, uh, complain about the, the, the people that are in legislation and in and, and their roles, but we ain't praying about them or we're not interceding on their behalf. We're not praying that they would prosper even though they're over us and ruling over us. How much sense does that make? Do you realize that God even encouraged his people while they were in captivity and slavery to pray for their captors that they would prosper? Why? Because you got to live in that mess. But we'd rather complain about it. We good. The filth of only being a hearer and not being a doer. As I come to a close, for real. (laughs) The scriptures liken us as believers to a farmer to an athlete, a boxer, a soldier. What do all of them have in common? They're all doers. They're all doers. They're doers and not pretenders. They're doers and not pretenders. You ain't going to get no ring as a boxer and be a pretender. I don't care how, how sharp you is with shadow boxing. If you, <laughs> you ain't going to get in there as a pretender. Shout out to my boy Bakari, man. Am I right? You ain't gonna want to be a pretender getting in there. Get your block knocked off. They're doers and not pretenders. We deceive ourselves by pretending. When we come in here and we listen and we hear the word and we don't do it, we're just pretending. We'd rather pretend. We'd, we'd rather pretend. We come in here, look the part, talk the part, and get out here and go on with, with our business. We'd rather politic. Oh, we talk, and we, 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 we might get in a little bit of theological debates and whatnot. Get on out of here and do our business. Oh, we'd like to show that we're in proximity with worship. Like, yeah, I, I know the presence of God is here, and I'll, I'll come close. And then go on about my business. We'd rather do all that than actually practice and partake so we can produce. It's easier to pretend than it is to partake. It's easier to politic than it is to partake. But we're of no benefit to the kingdom and it's no benefit to us if we don't partake. When we come into these doors, when worship is going on, when the preaching of the word is going on, and we don't partake of it, we don't receive it, so it can be made flesh in us, so that way we can go out the rest of the week and put it into application, it's of no use. Verse 23 says, for if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it and being a doer of it, he is like a man 
who looks carefully at his own face in a mirror. Verse 24, for he thoughtfully observes himself and then goes off and promptly forgets what he was like. I don't know about you, but when I look into the word of God, and that may be some of the reason, that's been, I'll, I'll admit it, it's been some of the reason why it's been hard for me to, 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 to stay consistent in doing so because when I read the word of God, it shows me who I am. A lot of us are looking the word of God to show us who we are and we're thinking that it's going to show us who we are in the sense of, of a motivational speaker tells you how you need to know who you are so you can be your best you. But no, sometimes what happens, I open up the word and I see my ugliness. I see my failure. I see my inadequacies. I see how, how I have all these shortcomings. And the work that is going to be necessary for me to deal with these things. And so I'll set it down and walk away from it for a while. Until I can muster up the gumption to come back and pick it up and see that though it's showing me the ugliness of who I am, that there's grace intermingled in between all of the, the words that are showing me where it is that I fall short. And much like a spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down, I'm able to receive the engrafted word which is able to save my psyche. We deceive ourselves when we hear only and we don't do. We deceive ourselves because a lot of times we're looking at the word and we deceive ourselves by coming in on Sundays and hearing the word and we're like, that don't apply to me. Good word, but I don't see myself and I think I'm beyond that. And we go about living the rest of our life in denial. Why? Because we've been taught to look at the word as, as though when we hear the story of David and Goliath that we're David. Am I lying? When we hear the story of knowing the ark that you're going you gonna to act like you wouldn't be the one that's banging on that ark after God shut the door? Nah, you ain't him. You're Noah. Right? We've been taught to look at it as though that when Jesus is having dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes, that we're Jesus. No, you're the prostitute. Nobody wants to talk about that. We deceive ourselves. Why? Because we think we're better than what we are. No, we have to come to the knowledge and the understanding that Jesus came to die not just for us, but he died because of us, instead of us, and in place of us. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it and being a doer of it, he is like a man who looks carefully at his own face 
in a mirror. For he thoughtfully observes himself and then goes off and promptly forgets what he was like. I don't know about you, but I pray that today would be the first of many of where you're tired of coming in here and hearing the word, getting excited because you get a glimpse of who God says you are and who he says you can be and the grace that he's, he's made available for you to change all of the shortcomings and all of the things that you have that, that aren't quite up to par. I pray that this is the first of many Sundays that, that you're like, okay, you know what, I'm ready to remember what it is that I look like when I leave this place. Why? Because I'm going to meditate on the word. Because I'm going to carry the word with me. I'm receiving the engrafted word so it becomes flesh in me. So that way I can apply it and I can live it out. Verse 25, it says, but he who looks carefully into the faultless law, the law of liberty, and is faithful to it and perseveres in looking into it, being not a heedless listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys, he shall be blessed in his doing, in his life of obedience. We got to persevere looking into the law. We got to persevere looking into the mirror of God's word to see what it is that we look like. Because when we, when we constantly persevere in looking into the mirror, we're constantly reminded of who we are and who God is. We're reminded of who God is and who we are not. I don't think you got that. We're reminded of who God is and who we are not when we look into the mirror of his word. And that's the problem with a lot of us. That's why we go about deceiving ourselves. We think that we are more powerful than we ought to be. That's, that's another great quote that a lot of people like to quote. That we are more powerful than we can, can imagine. My Bible tells me that without him, I can do no thing. No thing. The word doer in the Greek is the word poestis. Poetis, where we derive our word poetic. God designed this thing in such a way that we are poetic when we're not just hearers of his word, but when we're doers of his word I'm a musician I'm a songwriter I love music and I think that's one of the things that you, you feel how you want about it but I feel that music is one of the things that's closest to God's heart one of my favorites Zephaniah 3 16 where he rejoices over me with singing I imagine his voice sounds like Michael McDonald I appreciate it But poetic, when we do the word, not just hearers of it. To be a doer means to be poetic. You've heard the term poetry in motion. That's what God designed. Poetry in motion. When you're not just a hearer of my word, but a doer of my word, that's poetry in motion. And that's why it's pleasing to me. 
I love to see my children and my creation as poetry in motion. Why? Because his word, every time that we do his word and aren't just hearers of his word, that's his word not returning unto him void. He said it. He said, my word will not return unto me void, but it will go out and do that which I have sent it out to do. Just as sure as the rains come down from the heavens and become due on the earth, they will rise back up again and repeat the process. So it is that when his word comes from this pulpit Sunday after Sunday, God is looking for poetry in motion. God is looking for poetry in motion. Are you going to be a part of the symphony that he is conducting with his word? Then don't just be hearers. Be poetry in motion. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Give God some praise for his word. <laughs>